better place to call to your healthcare provider. Green Divider, Green Divider, coming to you live from the Hydron Collider. Green Divider, Green Divider, you know when you divide and divide again. Turn around and meet your new best friend. this week's episode of the Redivider podcast. Today we're going to be talking about what we expected out of an MFA program versus how it's been so far. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, and then uh, Doug, Doug will talk a little bit more about uh, his Harry Potter reading experience. Uh, and we'll talk about whatever else comes to mind. Whatever floats your boat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, your boat. But first we'll introduce ourselves. Uh, my name is Brad. Uh, I'm the host uh, and assistant editor for Redivider and a uh, fiction reader. I'm Doug Koziel. I'm the head fiction editor and just an all-around great guy. Simon Jimenez, just a reader. <laughs> of what genre? Fiction. Uh, good genre. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I don't know exactly what uh, everybody else expected out of an MFA program, I know that when I came in, I got, you know, like, uh, I knew a lot of people from the zoo who were all, like, PhD students who had done MFA programs, and I talked to them a little bit about it, uh, and everybody kind of said different things, you know, one person said, like, everything you write in your first year is going to be horrible, and just, like, be ready for that, mm. I don't know if I felt like that was true, but it was a good thing to sort of, like, you know, I don't know if it was good or bad, but it was in my brain going in, I was like, you know... I don't know, maybe I felt more comfortable to, like, just mess around and not mess around, but, like, to, like try new things if I thought sure. everybody's going to be bad anyway. I was a little worried about the workshops and, like, you know, were, were all the students going to be good? Were all of them going to be <laughs> way better than me? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so a lot of those different types of things. Um, and then also worried that, you know, it's like, did I pick the wrong program? It's like you can do a lot of research but still never really know what something's like until you're there. And so these are all things that were sort of like in my head before, uh, I came here and I got here and, you know, a lot of those things sort of held up, you know, in different, I don't know that any of them are really real, but I know that, you know, on certain days I felt like I was really frustrated because like it didn't seem like the other students were trying and, you know, that bothered, but on other days it felt like they were all way better than me (laughs) and I was like wasting everybody's time. Uh, by just, like, being here and making them read my work. Uh, And so, yeah, so those are some of the things that I sort of had swirling in my brain before I came here and kind of, like, throughout my first year. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of wondering what you guys expected. I know it's kind of hard to, like, look back now and say, like, here's what I thought was going to happen when I entered the program. Uh, But I'm curious. Besides all the wine, woman, and money I was promised. Wine, women, and money? <laughs> famous did, three. Why did the women mean anything to you? Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted some friends. Yeah, I, know. I get along most with women. <laughs> yeah, there are none yeah. on this podcast. <laughs> I know, I've realized this. <laughs> why don't you go first, Doug? <laughs> well, after that stunning start, yeah. Well, I think just in terms of, like, workshop structure or whatever... It, 
I kind of knew what I was getting into, having taken a few in undergrad. I didn't really foresee them being all that different from the advanced fiction workshop I took in undergrad, and mm-hmm. for the most part, that was largely true. Yeah. Um, I think maybe the one difference was, and I mean, this also differ, is different between how professors run workshops, but I think the non, for obvious reasons, the undergraduate was looser, and there was more of an authorial presence during mm-hmm. workshop. Um, where most of the workshops I've taken in the MFA have really prescribed to, like, the Iowa model of, like, we're going to workshop the author's dead until (laughs) the workshop concedes. (laughs) Dead until proven guilty. Um, But just, I think in terms, I had similar fears as Brad of just kind of everybody going to be just at a level higher than me, especially since I was waitlisted to the program Mm. um, and then got in a couple weeks later. But so I thought that alone was just kind of indicative. Yes, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I'll be I'll play have to play a lot of catch up in workshop or whatever. And then it turned out I was the best writer in the program. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're that's a hundred percent joke, people. Hundred percent joke. Hundred <laughs> percent joke. Um, but I also expected, along with that, a sort of like that to be reflective in the culture of the MFA. That I thought there was going to be a lot of pretentious people. Sure. Um, which, for the most part, I haven't found to be true. I think most of the people I've interacted with... Most and, of them. Yeah. yeah. Or, I'd say, like, 70 per, 80, A high percentage are very nice. <laughs> yeah, I agree with and that. And made a lot of good friends. Yeah. Um, I also thought on a, it was going to be a very sort of... I thought it was going to be a very sort of insular culture, and it was going to be very kind of... I still had a college mindset, th- so I thought there was yeah. going to be a lot of, like... I don't know. Okay, yeah, for lack of a better word, like partying and just like a lot of. I, maybe I thought the enrollment was smaller than it was, that like all the people were going to spend all their time together. I it was going to be very kind of a tight knit, but right. like incestual group, for oh, lack of a better word. So I was hoping there was a lot of incest. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that it was going to be sort of like. There's some. Yeah, there's yeah. some incest. <laughs> <laughs> But um, but I think our program is larger, and then there's more kind of splintering of social groups, right. more so than, like, these 10 people who are stuck in a pro- MFA program together, and they spend all their time together to the point of exhaustion, right. which is, I think, way better than the, that. Yeah, so instead of sleeping with your sibling, you sleep with, like, a second cousin. Exactly. <laughs> um, so you're enjoying your time? Yeah, I'd yeah. say so. Um, I think... I started, another difference was that, so in undergrad, I kind of slept walked my way through, like I got, undergrad is really easy, and you can get, like, good grades with minimal effort, at least in my experiences, Um, so I vowed to take a different approach that I, so, like, I wasn't, I was going to try extra hard, because I'm, especially since I'm paying more money for an MFA program, taking out larger loans, it's like, let's get our money's worth. So, like, within, like, the first semester, I, like, read each workshop story, like, two, three times. I was like, I got to really make sure I'm getting the most out of this smash cut to second (laughs) semester, where I, like, where you, like, read a story maybe once. Well, definitely once. (laughs) Maybe once. No, you're right. right. the title. Nope. (laughs) Hard pass. Um, I read a story at least once, but it's rare that I'll read a second story time, a a story a second time, unless I, like, it was really confused in the first read or I have a base reading. But some stories only need one reading. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) And that I was, um, so I think 
my approach to my workload is definitely <laughs> my philosophical approach has changed where I'm more centered on focusing on me first and my work first and making sure yeah, yeah, like yeah. if it's a choice between like reading this workshop story a couple times or writing a solid critique or me like focusing on my own writing I'm gonna go my own writing ten times out of ten selfish bastard right? <laughs> um, those are some thoughts to get us started sure yeah so I wanna circle back to a little bit I wonder uh, I don't know if it's time about what your experience was with undergraduate workshops but mm-hmm. mine was I, so I had one really great professor uh, who listened to this podcast. Hi, Michael. Hello. Uh, <laughs> oh, one, uh, I feel so bad for you. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, uh, professors that uh, were, were, like, good, but I think differed in the way that they approached the workshop, like, from how I would have preferred it. Sure. Uh, you know, one of them was pretty loose, and, like, the writer could, like, kind of talk, and so that was more fun, but... I think less useful and I know that I took the writing less seriously which is obviously mm. my fault but I know that that, that environment I mean I didn't approach the stories in, in as uh, rigorous a manner because it was like I know for sure that these students don't really care Yeah, this teacher doesn't you know what I mean this teacher is running kind of a loose ship and whatever uh, and then my third workshop uh, which was the advanced fiction uh, was going to really coalesce a problem in my mind that the University of Missouri has with their workshops, which is basically like at least half of the kids in every workshop are journalism students who are just taking it because they like to write and they know that they'll get an A. Mm-hmm. Uh, Good reasons. <laughs> right, I mean, we, so, we, which, you know, I don't want to say that, you know, they shouldn't be allowed to take the workshop because they shouldn't, I get that, and the, the, the structure is kind of forgiving of that, you know, it is not hard to get an A, right? So, yeah. Uh, the structure allows for people to act like that but was not what I was looking for because that was a point where I was really thinking about you know like doing this seriously and going on Mm -hmm. to a graduate program and um, it was a little frustrating to have students that didn't quite align uh, in terms of how they saw the class Um, and so coming into Emerson, I really wasn't sure what the workshops were going to be like because I'd never been. I mean, there'd always been one or two people like with whom I connected in the class, and uh, like we took things kind of equally seriously. But you know, to have basically twelve people that are all uh, you know doing this because it's super important to them, and they're like taking literal years out of their lives in order to improve their writing. Yeah. Um, was totally different, uh, and I was really worried that, and because I, I, I kind of ex- expected that change, and I was really worried that like the way that I saw myself as like a writer and like participating in a workshop was going to be like super upended, and that like you know I was wrong about everything the whole time, and like uh, that my writing was horrible, and just these people just didn't know, uh, and you know obviously I mean that was a pretty extreme fear and did not, thankfully, uh, end up being true. And the people that were in my first workshop are, like, some of my really close friends. Good. Um, And so it worked out really well for me, but there was a huge difference uh, in what I had experienced before and what I uh, ended up experiencing in uh, my first semester workshop. And then there was also a huge gap between my first semester workshop and my second semester workshop. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
So even in within a program with, you know, like five of the same students, there was a dramatic shift. Um, and it wasn't like, it, you know, like I could chart it in between where it was an undergrad and where it was a first semester because it was just kind of like a totally different environment. Um, so I don't know if you guys have experienced that type, like a very large difference between workshops with professors, both in the program or not. But I'd like to know, Adam, did you take programs in undergrad, Simon? I did, or, all the way through. How are, how are they? They're, for the most part, good. The professors were great. The students, most of the time, as you said, they just took it pretty easily just to get that easy A. Um, I noticed that in the MFA program, there's a lot less true weirdos, <laughs> like in undergrad creative writing. You'll just get people that like you're free to be around. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh man, just like reading their id put to, put down on a page. It's like okay, I can not be in this class anymore. But <laughs> you'll get like some of them like sneak through, or you know, just between you and me. But <laughs> oh, this is and really, the listen. Yeah. Uh, there was a girl in my first semester who wrote like this, like sort of like quasi like Dexter fan fiction mm-hmm. that like involved a woman. Like knocking a man, like like knocking a man unconscious and like repeatedly uh, stimulating him to like ejaculation. Great stuff. To point where to be like that's not how like <laughs> ejaculating. But like it was like over and over again. It was like there's there's a limit. He never had multiple <laughs> orgasms, Brad. <laughs> it was more than multiple, man. The M M O. So 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 like yeah, there's there there hasn't been anything like that where yeah, I was like. Right. Whoa. Yeah. I had in my intermediate fiction workshop, there was a student, and the student would always wear a tail. Oh, I so, had the same guy in my class. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So he had a pink fluffy tail. Oh, no, clips. mine was foxtail. Oh, uh, this was like, I'd say more like a squirrel, but it was clipped to his pants at all times. So he had to kind of like flip it up in the yeah. chair so he wasn't sitting on it. And he wrote a story about how this like this little girl is abused by her parents. Uh. And she has like, it's the typical story. And she has an imaginary, t- her teddy bear becomes an imaginary friend mm-hmm. and tells her to like kill people and stuff. Like a, that story. Right. And then, so he was always, always a strange guy. And then he went... I think during, like, the break before senior year, he went on a trip to Canada or vacation to Canada and across the border he got his laptop confiscated mm. and he had a shit ton of child porn on there. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> oh That's wow. a bummer. Bummer? <laughs> this is a, not a surprise. I did not. Um, I did not think it was going to go... Right? <laughs> oh, Let wow. this be a lesson to all of you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my so that God. was the weirdest person I've ever had. Uh, in well, my guy was a lot less serious and <laughs> like yeah he wore a tail like fine but the, my problem with him was like he was just an asshole <laughs> like he wrote crappy stories but gave terrible critiques to your stories uh, just like I don't get this like one line on my page I was like thanks <laughs> dick like I tried to be so generous with his sto- with his turds that he like sprinkled down in front of me and then he was just, like, like no <laughs> alright like, alright and in his defense that was like the first workshop either of us has taken so well I don't know if that's a defense <sighs> Well, on that note, I've gotten notes in, like, MFA that are equally useless, just margin comments, like, bad title, do better. Yeah. (laughs) It's like... Yeah, thanks. It's more for them to, like, get out whatever frustration. Right, and also, like, when is a title, like, the most important thing to focus on in a draft? That that might be, like, the most frustrating part of any workshop, Mm -hmm. and it happens in graduate workshops 
it, like I mean, it's happened no. to me where, where there's been like extended discussions in the class. Sure. About like the minutia that doesn't matter. Well, no, it just I mean I mean that, but like literally yeah. the title, which right. is like <laughs> just, just say that it doesn't work. You can fucking it is. Yeah. Just say hey. I don't think the title worked. That's all you need. We to don't say. have. We don't have to litigate that. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, sure, it's sure. not. It's it's there. There are so many things that are much more complicated yeah. that you need to like address in a workshop, <laughs> that than to be like, well, you know, I just thought the title like, I just thought it didn't work. It just didn't. It didn't to me reflect the story. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't call it the mysteries of lore or whatever. <laughs> I mean, and I think you know, like any writer should. Uh, be able to just like if somebody says like I, I don't think that this title worked you, you just write that on the paper yeah. and then you should be able to see it and go yeah or not agree or no right I mean mm. there's it's and it just doesn't if they have like a, like a really nuanced reason explain it but yeah. it should never be like a five it's, minute chunk of the word it's rarely <laughs> that complicated right uh, yeah. I also, I, I've never encountered a time where it was that complicated to deconstruct the title <laughs> uh in our first ever workshop with Daphne Calate, ah. Simon's signature move, whenever like the workshop had kind of reached the end point and lost its steam, would to be to raise his hand and say, should we talk about the title? <laughs> only, <laughs> only because on like the first workshop, Daphne made a point to like talk about it. Yeah. So then I just thought it was funny to keep doing it. Yeah, it you're, you're a <laughs> Every single story. <laughs> and to a point where everyone just looked at me at the end of the conversation. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And then he's like, I had my own role to play in the class. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, you're a monster. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a good bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, so another thing about the program that I didn't really like consider as much were like the literature courses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say, so we were all in uh, a Cuban lit class last semester together. We all were. We yes. all were. Uh, <laughs> and, I mean, so that was, like, the first time I think I've taken a literature course where I was, like, felt, like, from the beginning kind of, like, out of my depth where I was, like, I have no real, like, <laughs> ground where, like, no background at all in Cuban mm-hmm. literature. Uh, and so I was, like, just, like, totally, like, this is all super new to me. Sure. Uh, and felt, I don't know, so that was, like, a weird experience that I didn't, like, it never, like, factored into my expectations of it. Like, it never, like, came up where I was, like, the lit courses are obviously going to be... Challenging. Challenging and more challenging than the literature courses in undergrad, which, like, totally follows. But I was just, like, yeah, I'm going to take a literature course. They've right. always been fine. Yeah. yeah. This will be fine. And, and it was great, and I learned a lot, and I really liked the professor, and I liked going every time. But I was, like, felt a lot of the time, like, totally kind of, like, grasping to try to understand what was going on. I mean, that, that might be a little bit overstating <laughs> how so. difficult it was, but yeah. I mean, there, there were a lot of assignments that we got where I was like, I don't really know how to approach this. Mm-hmm. And that was very unfamiliar to me. Yeah, I had a similar experience with that same class. And I think it also has to do with the fact that, like, or at least for me, there was no, like, at least cop common basis that I could start with. Like, all the other literature classes I had taken up to that point had... Had had a white craft, people. yeah. Had white people, which whew, thank God, no. Had had a craft focus, so that hmm. even if you don't sure, kind of sure. know the subject material as well, you can at least talk about the craft elements. Yeah. Where I think, I mean, we sort of did, but that wasn't the primary focus. Where yeah. it was more sort of the content and just kind of like the historical and political implications and whatnot. Sure. So that not having that to fall back on was challenging in a good way, yeah. in a productive way. But. Yeah, I mean it. 
definitely I think I learned a lot about ways to sort of use literature to build an argument that extends past the literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and so, I mean, that was obvious. I mean, you know, the, the uh, types of articles that we were assigned were like sometimes really difficult academic articles that, and, and especially because of like the professor's academic focus, uh, you know, and I think I was able to sort of, towards the end, like start to kind of learn how to use like the way that creative writers kind of know to discuss craft, mm-hmm. um, to use that to discuss the literature, to forward a, you know, political or social argument. Uh, Joseph Harris over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but because I, I think that I that was... It's uh, <laughs> a 600 reference. <laughs> uh, it was like an important thing to, to like start to learn about. I mean, especially because, you know, I have like a li- at least a little bit of interest in, you know, going, you know, doing another graduate program that is more like... Uh, you know, like, academic and, like, literature-focused than mm-hmm. creative and, like, to learn, like, what that was like. But, again, that was not, like, something that I had really considered before I went in to the program. I don't know what your experiences were with lit courses in undergrad, mm-hmm. uh, but all of mine, I mean, even when it was, like, when I felt like I was a little bit out of my depth, was still just, like, so much easier to, like, basically skate by you know I mean it was like I, I I've never had to work as hard in a literature course as the one that we took last semester you went in all cocky didn't you <laughs> I don't think that that's true because I think I mean when you like if you read the description or whatever it was like yeah you didn't think you just, <laughs> yeah, it's like you're, you're not going to sit here and tick around like right. it's going to be a lot of work uh, but I, I didn't expect it to be because it wasn't like as though it was just like time consuming I mean though it it was, but it was, like, very, like, intellectually difficult to figure out, like, the appropriate way to approach the questions that we were being asked. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you asked about, like, lit classes in undergrad. Mm-hmm. I felt like mine were, they were fine, and there was some I really liked, but it was more like being in a book club or, like, a reading group, right. and it was, like, serious scholarly sort of approaching literature, even, again, focusing on craft, it was just sort of like, what is, what's happening in this book? How does it make you yeah. feel more it's, than anything? Those discussion questions at the end of a novel for <laughs> yeah. a book club, yeah. <laughs> which I've discovered recently when I finished Bless Me Ultima. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, what publisher does that? Uh, Harper Perennial does a lot of them. Yeah. With the PSs. Not a fan. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Because uh, I was, we were talking about that, and we looked at, I have the paperback of Slade House has those, like, of all books that need a discussion, <laughs> Slade House. But it's like, one of them was like, what sort of movies and books have scared you in the past? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is a good discussion. Well, uh, Doug, uh, what sort of movies and books uh, have scared you in the past? Answer the question. <laughs> um, I remember thinking The Shining was pretty scary when I read it as a wee lad. And the shot makes a movie. Nobody reads the book. Shut up. <laughs> the book's better. Than <laughs> no, I'm sure. I've, I've never read it, but I'm sure that, I'm sure that it's. No, good I really love the movie. My understanding is they're pretty different. Very much. Alien scary. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty scary. <laughs> <laughs> the The Omen scared me too when I was younger. Really? Yeah. Just kid. Yeah, but the devil. Yeah, it's like a kid devil. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's cute. <laughs> yeah. Like, when the nanny, like, 
jumps off the balcony. Ah, I did this for you. Frank Russian. Yeah. <laughs> so My <funny>. chicken. <laughs> That's a great Fran Drescher impersonation, by the way. <laughs> I was talking about the beautician and the beast when she, like, gets the pet chicken. She's supposed to cook it, but she, fall. she like, becomes friends with it, <laughs> so she can't kill it. The what? Beautician and the beast. Is this a film? <laughs> it's from the 90s. Oh. That happens like on your non-book record? <laughs> <laughs> that happens on every season of Survivor. Sometimes they give them chickens. They can't kill it. Uh, I, mean, they, I mean, they always kill them, but it's, uh-huh. there's always, like, one... There's always, like, one person who's like, no, I mean, like, look, they're laying eggs, and they're really nice. Yeah, they are really <laughs> nice. The eggs. And they're loyal, too. <laughs> and we just kill them and eat them. <laughs> uh, this has been sponsored by PETA. <laughs> Bread. <laughs> anyway, uh, no. back to your... So, so you didn't feel like you... You had particularly academic courses in your... Undergrad. Uh, in your undergrad? No, I mean, I, mean, I did... I mean, Academic Not might be sort li- of a loaded word, but well, stimulating. So I was an English major with a film concentration. Right. I thought some of my tougher uh, courses were like, similar. yeah, uh, the, I had a film minor. Yeah, uh. the film theory courses were almost more like intellectually stimulating than a lot of the English courses. I mean, the most academic courses I had were like media self identity society, where the professor was like obsessed with Lacan. Or we had, like, he also taught, like, a senior seminar on mental health and portrayal in film. So, again, a film one. The English ones, I don't know, they were fine, but I never felt particularly challenged by them. Right. Um, Even when, like, so, like, I took, I forget what it was called. Did you have to take, like, British literature one and two in your school? No, it was, I had to take something called, like, Story of English, which is very similar, which is, like, you start with, like, Beowulf, and... That's, yeah, yeah. that's it. It was dry as fuck. Of course. (laughs) So bad. Yeah, so I guess maybe a good representation of of how most of the English classes at the University of Missouri were was I took a self-paced online uh, Brit-lit course. Oh. Um, And for one of the exams, uh, I had just, like, you know, it was, like, a thing that's, like, you know you'll have three essay questions, here are five of them, you know, and three of them are going to be on the test, and so, so you, you could prepare for all of them, or you could prepare for, you know, you could gamble. I gambled. <laughs> yeah, why, why not? Uh, I, I gambled and did not win. Oh. Uh, and I had a question for a text that I, like, really barely read. Uh, and so I just kind of made, like, I just totally winged I basically used the names of the characters, which were not names. I don't remember what text it was. Were not names, but, like, labels. Yeah. Uh, and just just ran with it. <laughs> and I looked when I got back, and I had made basically like 9 out of 10 assumptions that I had made were just wrong. Were just, like, factually incorrect. <laughs> and I got, like, an 85% on that answer. Nice. <laughs> uh, right, and so not particularly difficult, except that for my capstone, which... Uh, was pretty difficult. Um, I mean, part of it was the teacher would give us, like, essay questions uh, and then would be, like, and answer it in 200 words. Which was just, you know, kind of basically trying to, like, untrain us from what I feel like a lot of undergraduate and, like, high school writing is, which is just trying to, like, hit mm-hmm. the word count. And you, you mm-hmm. learn how to sort of extend what you're saying I mean, which, which is sometimes necessary, uh, but is also sometimes not. Uh, and was just to say, you know, it's like, it is important to know how to do what you need to do in a really short 
amount of time. That was super difficult mm. because it uh, forced us to think about, I mean, not only to think about, you know, how to shorten what we're saying, but to kind of, like, think critically about the way, you know, like, the reasons that, you know, when you wrote a first draft, it was 500 words. Mm-hmm. You're like, what, why is that? Why was that ever like that? You know, and, like, <laughs> and so that was really interesting uh, and difficult. But it is, you know, it's like kind of a thing, it's like kind of like an artificial difficulty mm-hmm. where you just, like, say, it's like, you know, you, it's, as opposed to, like, asking a really complicated question. Right. You ask like a ba- you know like a normal question and make it just make the like the, the structure a little more difficult. Yeah, yeah. Um, not that that is necessarily bad, but it's just different. And and I mean I like the professor a lot, and that was definitely uh, my favorite lit class that I took. Um, it was all about sort of like technology and like communication, and uh, I know we read like cool. Like, she picked, like, really good books. Uh, we read A Visit from the Goon Squad. Hey. Uh, I can never remember the name of this. Uh, an, the Goonies? What was the Goonies? Uh, it, was a, it was a novel about... It was, like, a fictionalized version of the Patty Hearst kidnapping. Uh, Sounds quite good. Uh, and I, I, it, it was really good. It was, like, a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. I think... Uh, but uh, I'll, I'll try to find it. Uh, <laughs> and we read a book by like Gloria Naylor, uh, and so like it was really cool, but was not. Um, you know, I mean, it just did did not at all compare to what I ended up with in uh, at at Emerson with that. Well, of course, we'll see. I'm taking another course uh, with Pablo Medina. Yep. Uh, which I imagine is going to be uh, rigorous, is my guess. I took a, a translation course with him. He's a good teacher. But I wouldn't say too rigorous. Now he knows how to dole out the work, so I wouldn't worry about that. <laughs> the, the book was American Woman by Susan Choi. Which American Woman! from me! <laughs> which was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in 2004, Lost to the Known World by Edward P. Jones. You'll get him next time. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, there's, there's no shame at losing to Edward P. Jones. What does a P stand for? Um, you None don't want to know, buddy. Business. Mind your P's and Q's. Ah. <laughs> that starts with an M. <laughs> but P is in it, so let it go. Okay. Let it go. Okay. Let it go. Here's a question before we sort of wrap up this first section. Let's, um, what are y'all's... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> now, like... Do it, yeah. What was your decision to take an M- to take an MFA like? Like, what's your origin story as an MFA student? Oh. Can you, can you remember when you pulled the trigger on that or what <laughs> led you to do that? Probably a fear of not knowing what else to do. <laughs> um, and... I didn't, it didn't register to me as an idea until, like, my third, t- my junior year of undergrad and uh, the advanced creative writing program. People were, like, saying, oh, yeah, I'm applying to all these MFA programs now. I was like, I don't know, I could do that. <laughs> so mm-hmm. my origin story is pretty pedestrian. Did you come right from undergrad? No. I took a few years between working as a secretary for an eye surgery place. Did you, were you able to apply a lot of that to your writing? No, but what is funny is that a lot of, I get calls asking, like, what to do 
like if they have trouble with their eye after the surgery uh-huh. and I don't know anything right so I just tell them anything they wanted to hear <laughs> oh. I'm kidding Jeez, <laughs> that's <laughs> so horrible. it's like yeah you just want to drive your car yeah. <laughs> you just stick your head in the toilet <laughs> that actually really helps it's like eye training yeah. <laughs> gotta strengthen them somehow they're weak now <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Bradley? Uh, yeah, so, uh, like, towards the end of my junior year, um, there were, you know, I knew a couple of people that were applying, uh, and I'd been thinking about it, um, and then uh, I went and I did an internship uh, at Mebble House in Brooklyn and talked to a lot of the editors there a lot of whom had done MFAs of their own. Mm -hmm. You know, like the head publisher there went to Iowa. One of their editors went to Michigan. Uh, And, you know, people did a lot of different uh, programs. And so I talked to them about it and sort of, like, took their advice. I mean, basically, I was like, I wanted to take some time to do it, to uh, focus on my writing. uh, And I wasn't sure that if I uh, went out and, you know, went into the the working world uh, that I would go back and do uh, an MFA program. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I applied, I was like, well, you know, we'll see. I'll, I'll apply and then I'll think, I'll see where I get in and I'll think about, you know, what I want to do and maybe I'll take a year off or maybe I'll do, not a year off, but maybe, you know, and, uh, and basically, uh, I got in a few places, and I, and then after that, I was there was like a, I I feel it's happened a lot. It's like yeah, once I had like gotten in, and like there was like a plan. It was like I was never right. gonna not right do it. Um, and so that's just sort of. Well, I mean, I was just decided basically. I mean, I didn't necessarily have anything else that I was like dying to do yeah. right out of school, <laughs> nice. and uh, my family was supportive of me doing this, and so it was the right time and uh yeah I mean I kind of have a little bit where it seems like uh one thing is you know I feel like I'm not as you know like well read as other people here I don't know if that's true or not because I think yes like everybody's read different books and so like people are always going to be talking about books that you haven't read sure uh but so I mean so there's a little part of me that's you know like which is I had done because I have like a friend who did an MA program before he came here, uh, and that, uh, you know, just to kind of read more and, you know, have a little more time to write before you get into an MFA program, and there's part of me that's like, yeah, I wish I had done that, but, mm. I don't know, I mean, I didn't, it didn't at all occur to me to I do it. 2020. Right, right, it was like, it didn't, it didn't at all occur to me to do that before I came here, and I don't know how much it would, if it's like, I think I'm doing well, and I'm and so I don't know that it would have made much of a difference. Um, yeah, I mean, it's basically just, like, kind of pretty boring where I was like, yeah, I think that I'm going to do this, and I know a lot of people who have done it and yeah. enjoyed it, and it seemed like a good time to do it, and I got into a program that I really liked, and it seems uh, to sort of all fall into place, I guess. That's what she wrote. All right. Wonderful. What about you, Doug? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so the real I, reason you asked this yeah. question. <laughs> no, I was vaguely aware of that as an option right. when graduating, um, but in my mind, I was just going to like um, get like a proofreading or a copywriting job or whatever, 
do that and then just write on the side. Um, turns out those are a lot harder to get than it's than your idiot yeah. <laughs> rationale would lead you to believe. Um, so I just was applying to jobs constantly, still writing, but my, sending stuff out and not getting any better or going anywhere. Um, and then I was like, what jobs did I do? Because I took two years off. Um, I did a lot of substitute teaching. I like worked at a burrito place and like washed dishes and mm-hmm. stuff and it was all terrible <laughs> um and then I was reading this David Foster Wallace essay in um a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again the one about David Lynch and he talks about first seeing Blue Velvet in theaters in an MFA program and then there's a footnote that kind of explaining like back when this was written that like if you want to be a serious writer an MFA program is kind of the route to go for a lot of people and I was like oh really I want to be a serious writer <laughs> and so that was really it yeah. <laughs> and then I just um, Emerson was one of the places I had applied for undergrad and didn't get financial aid for um, but I like researched the writing program wanted to go here and here we are yeah so that's the fast forwarded version sure um, but I think we all share that common bond of like just life outside of <laughs> of school sucks like, <laughs> like the real working world's atrocious why would right. you want to do that yeah and we all love writing supposedly so eh, i guess <laughs> <laughs> or reading or literature in general. Oh, it comes yeah. and goes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> uh all right on that uh bittersweet note uh we'll take a break you mean sweet bitter no. <laughs> and we'll, uh, we'll be right back. I don't right. actually have to take a break. Me neither. He's gonna be sweeping with the fishes. Uh, hello and welcome back. This is what we're gonna start with. <laughs> well, we're gonna start with Doug's uh, Harry Potter uh, halfway through the third book. Ah. Uh, not quite half finished hot takes. Almost as scary as a Dementor, isn't it? Hey, Doug? I was gonna get to that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, our friend Doug is, um... Let me see. Let me see again. An aerial view. I want to see where the bookmark is. But higher. Oh. Aerial. Let's uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so okay. So so, so, so Doug, that's a little bit about halfway yeah, through. Two ten out of four hundred and thirty-five. As close Almost to a exactly. half-finished off take as we're ever going to get. Yeah. Uh, so how are you feeling about uh, magic? We'll start. We'll start with how yeah. do you how do you how do you like the third book? Okay, the third is my favorite so far. Good. Um, it's definitely got the most going on that feels substantial, whereas for me, Chamber of Secrets had a lot of loose threads, and some of them sillier than others. This one kind of like, crisis right off the bat, Sirius Black is out of prison, you're like, who is this guy? It's even on the muggle news, you know, it's going to have implications for both worlds. Um, and then, so that right away, some solid stuff to latch on to. Yeah. You spend... Pretty much the least amount of time with the Dursleys in any of the books so far. Huge mm. plot. <laughs> Always an irritating part. Um, and then you're kind of like... It feels a little... So, like, the first one's great because you kind of, like I said on the last episode, you're in this new world and you get immersed to it. The second one just feels like it's sticking to the formula a little too much. It's kind of reiteration of the first with new elements. This word is the first one that feels kind of its own book. Sure. Um, still has the formula for the most part, but started to break off into its own elements. It's starting to get a little bit darker. Mm. You got your Dementors, scary as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, Harry's pretty frightened of them himself. Um, and he's you got the, you go into Hogsmeade or whatever that place is. So you, they leave the castle. So that's always good. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and yeah, so there's a lot 
enough to make it feel like its own book. It's starting to get a little darker. It's starting to get a little more substantive. Yeah. Um, and it's still mysterious and fun. Good. It's still very funny. Um, I oh, also love... Um, I never know any of the characters. <laughs> the f- Defense of the Dark Arts teacher, he's my favorite one so far. Lupus? Lupin? Yeah. Lupin. Lupin. Good guy. Um, you've got that divination teacher, Professor Trelawney. She's a riot. <laughs> Played by Emma Thompson in the movie. Oh, yeah. She reminds me a lot of a professor I had in undergrad who taught Future of Food. Was it Emma Thompson? Yeah. <laughs> what is Future of Food? I don't remember. <laughs> we read yeah, Michael it was Pollan. It was, it was just all about Soylent. Yeah, it was oh, about Soylent. Yeah. Like glowing cubes or something. Right. <laughs> Soylent, Soylent has been pretty aggressively advertising to me on my Facebook feed with their like, new coffee product. Ooh. <laughs> and I don't... Because part of me is like, man, three bucks for a whole meal, that's amazing. <laughs> right. The other part of me is like, I don't want to be like a weird hermit that <laughs> gets all of his nutrition out of these like weird and conspicuous bottles, right. and it's like kind of a sludge, and I'm like, I don't... But anyway. Uh, As a side note, someone pointed out to me recently that it's a weird trend in writing where it, non-white characters are always described by association with food. And like coffee and stuff like that. That feels like kind of a classic thing, or a timeless. Well, not in a good way. <laughs> it seems to have been a problem for a while. Right, but yeah. it's just when someone like shines a light on an obvious thing, it's mm-hmm. illuminating. So, just want to share it with everyone. No, I agree. I, that yeah. is a very weird thing, and I don't. I think it's a. I think that white writers are worried about seeming like they're being it's the type of thing that's like this like white idea that recognizing race is the the only way to be racist and that if you don't right. is that if you're just racist to them but you don't say that it's because they're a certain race that that's not racist. Yeah. And so it's a way his skin you know, he's 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 not a black person. He's a <laughs> he's a mocha flavored man. Exactly, exactly, right. Mm. Which is I mean like Delicious. obviously I mean it, it, if if you take like one step to the right to like deconstruct it you're like right. that is so much worse <laughs> yeah. right I mean but it seems I feel like to a certain type of person immediately like oh this is the cool and progressive thing to do right. and it's like super not but yeah I don't know I, I I like try to think of like the way that like white skin is usually described because no. I mean it comes <laughs> which is disgusting <laughs> yeah. don't describe anything as, as milk or milky. she looks like a cup of hot milk gross as, <laughs> gross as fuck dairy I, I, I eat like you know I eat cheese I, I, I eat dairy all the time dairy is disgusting it's gross it's a gross you idea you don't like dairy? I, I mean like you don't like gre- the idea of it? I don't like the idea the of it the reality of it I don't, I don't like the idea of it uh, milk always just kind of grosses me out when I look like I for whatever reason now I'm just like yeah milk that's kind of gross like looking at it it's like a weird thickness it's like a whole we're going a whole different direction. But, yeah. anyway... Cottage cheese. Yay or nay? Uh, I used to do this really disgusting thing in undergrad where I would mix peanut butter and cottage cheese. Ugh, really? It actually tasted pretty good. Even now, I'm like, I know that, that is like, a disgusting thing to do. I've never heard of that. I've never you to even try that. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm, sure that, I'm sure that I didn't come up with it on my own. It was the acid that did it. <laughs> uh, I feel confident that I heard about it I could see some, somewhere yeah, mm. getting like high as fuck and doing that. There was like a uh, Buzzfeed listicle, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like best midnight snacks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that, that was not what happened, but there is. I mean, there was definitely a reason that I 
tried it. I must have read somewhere that it was like a good. You read a description of a man described like <laughs> cream cheese mixed with peanut butter. You're like, I want to eat that. Uh, <laughs> but somebody no. described a mixed race character. Yeah, that would have been so like, cottage cheese mixed with peanut butter. <laughs> but you know, like the chunky peanut butter. Yeah. <laughs> Is it a fat character? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that, just real quick, back, that goes back to Harry Potter. Oh, wow. <laughs> is that, like, the only thing that's annoying, we'll jump back to your thing in a second, Please. is that, like, <laughs> she has to let us know that the Dursleys are fat. Like, yeah. Every other yeah, word. Yeah. It's, like, it's weird. He raised his fat hand to his fat face, and that motherfucking fat asshole. Yeah, but uh, the, the wife and the mother wife is, like, is real, real thin, thin yeah. strict yeah. asshole. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember not ever liking the scenes that the Dursleys and just it's just them. like masochistic yeah. right and I didn't like, sadistic and I don't like them in the movies and I I don't know so do you like it we're just gonna we're just gonna steer back because that sure. thing was in a totally bad direction <laughs> uh, I, I do like them. I, 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 I feel I feel like Simon brought up something that is like worth discussing and then basically me I just steered it away for no real reason like, I gotta tell you about my recipe <laughs> <laughs> he asked about cottage cheese <laughs> I want to he did ask um, the family recipe uh <laughs> No, please continue. Yeah. I have nothing else to add about that. Uh, so you do you like it more when they like leave Hogwarts, or was it just like refreshing to have sort of a new setting? No, it was it was refreshing. Okay. I, I mean, there's a lot of mystery and fun at Hogwarts, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's nice to get outside of the formula every sure, now sure. and then. Yeah. Um, but I I understand like it being a children's book and like children wanting that kind of like something to. That reliable structure. Yeah, I think I because I haven't read it in a long time. I think that that I, I had some sort of attachment to them being at Hogwarts, and it felt like it was like whenever they left, I like always got felt like kind of like anxious for them just yeah. to like, which mm. is which is part of I think the point because there's like a, an art uh, 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 like an inherent danger to the fact that when when they leave, even though tons of terrible shit happens yeah, at Hogwarts. Hogwarts itself is pretty dangerous. Uh, right, but, but I mean, you know, it's like they, it always seems like, you know, when they're out of Hogwarts, you know, all this bad stuff's happening and it's better mm. for them to be there. Uh, and so, I don't know, I always, I, in, in my memory, I liked the parts at Hogwarts more than I liked when they were gone. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Makes sense to me. I don't know, when did, when did you last read the books, Simon? Oh, man. Yeah, that's how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> like I read the seventh book when it came out, but I didn't never finished it. Oh. I like just tr- I just stopped reading it. Uh, you and should then... join me in this adventure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I probably should. It's pretty um, fun. But I, I was like eleven when Harry Potter when the first book came out, and I think did it come in two thousand one? Uh, I think it came out a little earlier than that, but I mean, okay. no, definitely earlier. Yeah. This one is even this one is copyrighted in nineteen ninety nine. Okay. Or maybe like the first movie, whatever the fuck, I don't care. But like I grew up with it, so it's very, a lot of all the books like line up for like milestone years in my life. So. Yeah, it's always right. nice things to think back on. But I don't really think about the plot itself that much, or like mm-hmm. the experience of reading it. Yeah. I just think about like the rose tinted, when I had like no worries, <laughs> <laughs> diving into a complete mm, other uh, world. Sorcerer's Stone was published in the U.S. in 98. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chamber of Secrets was published in the U.S. in... Was this months apart? In June of 1999, and uh, Prisoner of Azkaban was published in the United States in September of 1999. Which is so cool. Wow. <laughs> uh, Fast writer. <laughs> uh, Goblet of Fire was published uh, on July 8th, 2000. Mm-hmm. 
uh, Order of the Phoenix was published on wow uh June twenty first, two thousand three. So there was oh, a huge wait. Must have pissed people off. <laughs> <laughs> Regular Game of Thrones. <laughs> Half Blood Prince was published in two thousand five, mm-hmm. and The Deathly Hollows was published in two thousand seven. Okay. So that's man. That's people were probably mad, and now they're like compared to George R. R. Martin. Yeah. Like, no, that's chill. <laughs> uh, but that's crazy that yeah. they published those so frequently, and then just like took. I mean. You know, it's hard to write books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not going to, uh, you know, say it took her too long. But that is a weird rhythm. She must have had, like, a, have built up kind of a backlog. Mm. Um, or just fame got her busy or something. Uh-huh, too busy fanning herself with all those uh, stacks dollar, of... Dollar dollar bills, yo. Stacks of uh, <laughs> British pounds. Yeah. Uh, just throwing coins in her face. <laughs> The British have paper money. Pence. <laughs> so what's the next one? Is the next one Goblet of Fire? Yeah, it is. Cool. It's one of the Goblet of Fire. Goblet of Fire. <laughs> Goblet of Fire is pretty, uh, pretty dope. I hear a lot of people think that's their favorite. Uh, or that is. They don't know what they What they believe wrongly. Uh, are you gonna Are you gonna read the Cursed Child? Also, are you gonna hell no. are you gonna roll right into it? Do you say hell no or I don't know? I said hell no. Oh. But I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna pay for it. I'll tell you that. I have no curiosity about that book. So at work, one of our coworkers was reading it, and she was just like telling us, or at least I don't know, she was just like telling me like the exciting stuff that happened, which Which was was Chelsea, okay, former coworker, yeah, Uh, Chelsea, you were there, (laughs) oh yeah, you were were there that day. Um, That was a nice day. (laughs) uh, That's when he started reading Harry Potter. Oh yeah. Oh my god. and it sounded like like the things that were happening. I was like not interested. Right. In, yeah. Because it just I don't know. So there's something weird. So let's we'll how about this. I don't know. if There's another writer that is. The next one's seven hundred fifty two pages. Yeah, that, it's a big job. Gets uh, epic, man. <laughs> You'll never get. Out of this. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if there's another like productive. Um, like you know, there's like another productive comparison to what J.K. Rowling's kind of doing, but the way that she is sort of like always like tweeting about like the world of mm-hmm. like Harry Potter and has done a lot of things that are um, kind of after the fact messing with it sure. a little bit retconning and stuff uh, just really like bothers me and has like I'm not, and I, I'm not I don't have a huge like sentimental or intellectual attachment to the story like I read it and liked yeah. it but I am not connected to it in a, in a really serious way you're not a Potterhead? no oh. um, you're not on the forums? I'm not <laughs> I'm not Potter up, more. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not up on the forums uh, he's lying <laughs> uh, but it's just it's so weird I mean so part of it is you know I kind of feel like when something is like out there it's like out there and it's like, would bother me if I was really committed to, like, have somebody, like, messing with this, like, thing that is already, like, out there and, you know, it's kind of existed for a long time and that when, as, like, the author, you think that you can just still, like, sit and, like, pull these, like, strings. Like George Lucas. Sort of, but George Lucas did that by making more content. Right. Uh, And making the originals worse. 
arguably. Right. So he did a little right. But but I mean at least I don't know how to say at least, but there's something there <laughs> where I mean he, so he's going in and he's changing the actual product. Product. He's not and and then which is a totally different thing than her being like, oh, uh, Dumbledore's gay. Mm. I mean, like, if you can't... You that know, did ruin like, the Harry Potter mythos for me when I learned that. <laughs> it's, it's not that it ruins it. And like, you know, like, it would have been cool sure. if Dumbledore were actually a gay Oh, character. Brad, I completely agree with you. <laughs> right, and I, know, I know that you do. Uh, it, it uh, you know, is not as cool. You don't, you don't get, like, props as, like, a a cool progressive lady <laughs> if you decide after the fact that where, where, where no reasonable person could have made that conclusion like reading the book it wouldn't have been justified you could like it was just I think as likely as him being straight being straight because he's not a, a sexualized character right <laughs> but so if it doesn't matter in the story itself then that's like the kind of ancillary detail that you would just throw out on Twitter right uh you should, but it's the type of thing where, I mean, she did it. I, th- I mean, she did it to be like, look at. Sure. This game. I I don't know what exactly the mechanism <laughs> was, but I mean, it felt to me like, look at me. I wrote a gay mm-hmm. character, but you you didn't. Like you, you know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm like. What if she just wrote a character who happened to be gay? She didn't have to write a gay character. Right, I and, and so that's where where I'm sort of going with is mm-hmm. to sort of lead into a question oh. is I will so I I believe that you know representation in media obviously matters but rep- yeah. but it, it matters if they're like actually represented and sure just, yeah uh, being like oh by the way this character who is not. It shows no there's no reason to believe that they're gay during the story yeah is gay I mean, that doesn't further I feel like you know it, it, it's not really representing because you didn't let if if you know is there a reason that he's not dating anyone you know is there a reason that if it's important enough to tell people but that he's gay the context was like a girl in a Q&A asked her like why does Dumbledore like have a wife or something and then Jerry Allen's like, well, she wouldn't because he's gay. So it's like that kind of throwaway thing. Um, I well, that's worse. If, I, if the only <laughs> if if the only reason is because uh, if the only reason that he's gay is because he doesn't have a wife, you know, I don't know. If if, if you're like, I might be getting the question wrong. Let's see. Um, I agree that I would have liked representation in any of the books of the seven books, <laughs> but. For some reason, her telling down, getting that information out there didn't bother me so much. What I'm trying to think when this was that uh, happened too. It was a while ago, right? Yeah. I think maybe it was like just a way of like solidarity. Yeah, in a way, and mm-hmm. also like these books are beloved by children all across like political spectrums and right. all across ideology, and as a way of like challenging like children's notions of like say you're growing up in a household where you're told like gay marriage is wrong and this beloved character is gay it's gonna mm-hmm. make you rethink some things hopefully sure so maybe that was there was certain aims beyond just like literary mm-hmm. um, more so just kind of challenging yeah and preconceived I, notions. to a point I think it's okay if she wants like pass on the back for doing that like a lot of people want 
pat recognition. Validation, sure. Right? I mean, and it's like a, for a good thing. Mm-hmm. And certainly, I would have liked it if he was in the text actually gay. But there's so much meta text surrounding the Harry Potter universe that it feels like basically one and the same. I guess so. I've looked up so uh, according to Telegraph.co.uk. I'm familiar with it. Excited. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. Uh, when Rowling first told fans about Dumbledore's sexuality, she shed light on the wizard's confirmed single status by indicating that he was once in love with his childhood friend, Gellert Grindelwald, uh, who later went on to become an extremely dangerous dark wizard and was defeated by Dumbledore prior to the events of the first Harry Potter book. Yeah, I'd read that story. Yeah. Um, I would too. And I think, so I think that, I don't know, there's just something that feels, maybe it's, a writing problem but something feels weird about if it's like this thing that is like foundational to mm-hmm. one of your central characters I mean even if it's like you could have like I would have like it would have been maybe like powerful to like have this story about like loving this person who turns bad and having to like deal with that mm-hmm. uh, then to not, I don't know, there's not a lot of information about exactly the way that this... Got out. Got out, but... Pun I mean, intended. So there's, there's, right, I mean, so, I mean, so there's stuff that's like, uh, you know, she shed light on the wizard's confirmed single status. You know, the things where, like, the way that it's... It seems like, like the implication to me is, like, the way that you would know that he's gay is because he doesn't love... Because he's single. Interesting. Is like, is like, that's the proof in the text that he's that this is like the proof that she has from the text that what she's saying is consistent with well see the only point I disagree with you on is like it wasn't set up like a mystery with clues to pick it up on so then he's single sure a lot of gay guys are single I I it didn't if I had to choose between in the text him Jake Rowling writing, yeah, he's gay. I would, of course, prefer that. But with what we have here, I don't mind that in a, she threw out that he was gay after the fact, rather than her never saying anything at all about that. Yeah? I mean, as, yeah, and I would agree with that. And maybe she wanted to, and there was, it wasn't the right time. Maybe there was external pressures from, like, the editors or something, or she just didn't think it would work or something. I don't know. There's, I think there might be extenuating circuits. I mean, that can go for any sort of piece of writing. Sure. But I think, I just feel like with a children's book market and this, the time and place that these books were started and were written, mm-hmm. I think maybe there was, she, maybe she would have liked to and it didn't work out or, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. No one really There's know. no way to find out. Unfortunately. And I felt like Until his... Until I tweet it. <laughs> <laughs> like, across the seven books, like his story is, the story of him being told is pretty complete, I felt. So I didn't feel like something was missing from it. And I, yeah, so I was I, satisfied by that. I guess, I don't know. So, I just, I don't know, like, the justification for why, for, like, I'm not, I don't, just, that's not the right, like, the, the story that she tells about, like, why mm-hmm. he's single feels pretty traumatizing to me like if you had to kill or defeat I guess it doesn't say that he killed him if you had to to, to like physically right right if you if you had to vanquish like right. your one true love right that would 
might fuck up your worldview. It would definitely fuck up my worldview, but right? this is Dumbledore, man. <laughs> He's maybe. pure and above it. <laughs> maybe, I don't know. I mean, maybe, so maybe it's like the... So this is maybe something that I'm doing something that uh, I try not to do, where I'm sort of blaming her for the way that people reacted mm. to it. I see. Uh, and so, well, because I mean, the, the, the thing, I mean, so the, 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 the context for this Telegraph article uh, was uh, J.K., the headline is J.K. Rowling's brilliant response to a fan who asked why is Dumbledore gay? And she mm-hmm. said... Uh, oh, I see. It's got to load again. Uh, she said, uh, so somebody tweeted her and said, thank you so much for writing Harry Potter. I wonder why you said that Dumbledore is gay because I can't see him in that way. And she said, maybe because gay people just look like people. Yeah. Which, oh, sure. What? Right, but I mean, so this whole article is like, what a great response. Mm-hmm. And everybody else is like, what a great, the, you know, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of uh, Im- embedded tweets that are like, oh, like, what a great sure. response. And I'm like, you know, I don't know. Like, so like, you feel it's disproportionate to what she actually just did. Right, because I don't think casual. that what she did... You know, and I don't know, because obviously, you know, whenever she initially said it, which was like, I think it looks like it was in 2007, mm-hmm. uh, it should have been around the time that the last book came out. Uh, I don't know, it just like, did it from a place of like, relative safety as an artist and mm-hmm. uh, didn't I don't know like did it from a part where it's like their representation was like kind of like solidified I don't know I'm just saying like she waited until like Dumbledore's like the, the image of Dumbledore and like the popular imagination was like mm-hmm. codified and then was like oh I'm gonna fuck your whole shit up bam he's gay yeah but now everyone knows he's gay. Like, literally everyone. That's true. But, I don't know. I don't know. There's just something... Up, I mean, so I think part of it is that it bothers me in general when authors take a text that is, like, finished and mm-hmm. edited without actually changing anything. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, what I would more so be just kind of... Not irritated by. just kind of think silly. Is She does that with all sorts of things, too. Right, that which, is what, which is kind of where we, where we started. Where, the, where <laughs> we're like, that, that stuff just like is very grating to me okay yeah let's just leave it alone yeah I mean (laughs) (laughs) I mean not that I have any right to tell an author what to do with their text but and Alice Munro like change every edition (laughs) I just yeah maybe it's just my own sensibilities that finds that irritating Mm. Um, but she's still doing new things right in turning herself into Robert Gilbraith. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to imagine she puts on a different <laughs> she puts outfit on a, and well, a hat. Fake mustache. I'm just sleuth. So this is the other thing. So I think I just don't particularly find J.K. Rowling to be like an appealing personality. It's all right. Like recently she posted like a letter of like, look, even I got like rejected by like a publisher when she was trying to do her like Robert Gilbraith right. thing. But the letter that she posted was like a form letter from a publisher who does, doesn't take unagented submissions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, you didn't get <laughs> turned, they didn't look at it because you didn't follow the rules. Sure. And it was like weird to be like, it's like, that is not, you know, it's like there's something where like, just like always like a little bit off yeah. with okay. like the way that she does things. 
There was another thing she did recently where, like, somebody... She, like, screen-capped somebody tweeting to somebody else, like, completely not associated with her, like, oh, I never, I've never read Harry Potter, I don't plan to, or something. And then she's like, was like, look, that moment when you feel your life loses all meaning or something. <laughs> like, why are you pick... Like, you're a billionaire. Like, just live your life. Why are you picking <laughs> on some random Twitter dude who doesn't right. like Harry Potter? Who gives a shit? <laughs> And then, of course, there's like 20,000 retweets and likes. Like, yeah. Oh, got him. And it's then so the pile on. Yeah, it's just like, who yeah. cares? What are you name searching on Twitter for? Wouldn't you do that, though? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I have a Google alert. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I have one for Redivider. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're, you got an alert for us being like in a spam <laughs> yeah, website. <I> can... <laughs> the episode 10 for some reason. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah, it's a classic. It deserves to be associated with get free cover letters. Yeah. What's that? Uh, <laughs> you know, that? That's gonna be a, a real big one in our uh, our mythology. Maybe. Oh my god. Yeah, that's on resume.com. No. Oh, be still Baron, in heart. Bearing dot tk. Dot tk. What's tk? I don't know. Turkmenistan. What's the home page look like? Home. So well, so have yeah, any like of fake J.K. Rowling's uh, additions to the to the the, the the universe? Are those like a part of your reading at all? Do you feel like I don't really know much about them yeah. aside from the Dumbledore being gay one. But I don't <laughs> besides really the big homo it. thing, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I like I'm not tuned into any of that stuff because right. I don't really give a shit. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that you who tweeted out? Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm just like reading the books for what they are. Sure, that's a good way to do it. And they're very nice. Mm. Harry broke his broom. The Nimbus Two Thousand just fucked up. Yeah. Those those Dementors they're scary, man. <laughs> They'll get you. It sucks, though, when, like, an author does stuff that pisses you off when you, like, really like their work. Like, yeah. Orson Scott Card, who's, like, a militaristic, <laughs> oh anti-homosexual. I hate saying anti-homosexual. Why did I just say that? <laughs> Homophobe. <laughs> Homophobe. Um, just weird yeah. asshole. And, but his, the, sec- the second book in the Ender series, he wrote, Speaker for the Dead, is one of my favorite sci-fi novels ever written. I, I think it's, like, a really beautiful th- work. And it's attached to this ugly person. Yeah, I mean, and so... I think that I, I want to, on what Simon said, I think it's important <laughs> to, I, 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 there's, like, something that is, like, specifically annoying to me about, like, what J.K. Rowling does, mm-hmm. uh, and, like, the cheering that goes on around it, mm-hmm. but that is obviously magnitudes better it's a lot yeah. worse. <laughs> uh, I'll take a homophobe any day. <laughs> right, I mean, like, being, like, like, not only a homophobe, but does, like, uses, like, a lot of his money to, like, support very, like, homophobic organizations. Right. Uh, or, you know, being a rapist. Yeah. Right, you know what I mean? There's things that are, that are obviously... Sure, sure. So much worse. Well, speak for yourself. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna speak for that is, that is, is relative me. Uh, to overcoming adversity. <laughs> uh, I could agree that morality is relative, but I am also gonna just uh, put a hard. Uh, our podcast's policy is that uh, Orson Scott Card and uh, those of his ilk are much worse than Jake. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, Orson. It's true and, though. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I'm just gonna. That's that's what we get. It's yeah. a podcast official stance. Yeah. What do you guys think about that though? When like an author is reprehensible, but their work is. Uh, 
I don't think we have time. For yeah, that. I, just, <laughs> I don't know. That, that I don't know the next episode. Yeah, probably. Uh, um, we've got we're like an hour and ten yeah, or so into the recording right now. Uh, <laughs> lunch, but I will say that. Um, or do you have any examples of it? Uh, I yeah. well, so uh, so I was, I'm like in the middle of uh, an episode of the Code Switch podcast, which everybody should listen to. Mm-hmm. In general, tell me what to do. Uh, <laughs> But, but I mean, it's, it's, it's about controlling with their white body breath. Uh, <laughs> is about uh, so close. Which just quick. I think I've recommended it before, but you have. Uh, so it's, it's uh, run by the people who run the Code Switch blog for NPR, uh, Gene Denby and others, uh, and they like approach. Uh, you know, I mean, their goal is to talk is to talk about uh, like marginalized people and mm-hmm. race issues and things like that. Uh, and so they had their podcast this week is about Nate Parker, uh, who directed and starred and wrote. Uh, in Birth uh, of a Nation, uh, which is this uh, movie about Nat Turner's right. uh, slave rebellion, uh, who was uh, accused and charged with rape uh, in 1999 or the early 2000s yep. when he was at Penn State, as was his co-writer. Uh, he was acquitted, and uh, his co-writer was convicted and then acquitted on appeal. Um, and so that's come up again, and uh, so it is a part of... Uh, what I was thinking about coming in hmm. to this podcast, but I think uh, it's definitely worth talking about. But maybe we'll we'll put a pin in it for sure, next sure. week because yeah. uh, it's uh, very difficult. I did think about coming in and talking about it today, but I felt like I kind of wanted to think about it a little more. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. so we'll do that next week. Um, yeah, we can just uh, Doug's gonna make lunch and go to work. <laughs> gonna uh, make lunch, go to work. I'm gonna make mac and cheese today. That's cute. Uh, well, Thanks. He, well, yeah, he didn't get to do it on a Saturday. Hey, we denied him his oh, mac. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you did you make it? Did you make it through your shift? Okay, Doug. Um, I took two breaks. <laughs> you got two. Oh. Well, I had a half hour. You broke it up. Yeah, and I broke it up. That's how hungry I was. But I liked it. Might do it again sometime. Yeah, that's uh, the old fifteen and fifteen. Uh, Fight for fifteen. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> what if that's all that they were fighting for? It was a fifteen-minute break. That's pretty paltry. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if they didn't have it, that would definitely be worth. Uh, worth Let's start going somewhere. For. Yeah. Uh, all right. Recommendations. Recommendations. Excellent. So I'll go. Uh, so the book I want to recommend is the book that I did my half-finished hot take for last mm-hmm. week. Uh, Jonathan Lee's High Dive. Uh, about uh, the attempted assassination of Margaret Thatcher and the bombing of the Grand Hotel in 1984. Uh, I finished it. It was really, really good. Um, I have like a lot of admiration for the restraint that he had as a writer to tell the specific story that he was telling and not to kind of get caught up in... Uh, like the violence you know not to turn it into like something that was like you know kind of like violent and like really uh exciting and like an action movie Mm -hmm. kind of way uh it was very slow in a good way uh well I'll say it felt slow because it seemed like it could have been going really really fast Mm -hmm. and the way that he broke it up deliberately you could sort of feel it slowing down but it wasn't as though it was like a really slow read um super, super uh, heartfelt. So basically, again, it's a story of the uh, Grand Hotel bombing from 1984 where uh, the Tory convention uh, in the UK, uh, the hotel that was hosting it, uh, somebody planted a, the IRA planted a bomb. Um, the three main characters are all fictionalized. Uh, I want to say a lot more about, because I don't know. I don't Spoilers. Well, 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 no, not, well, fictionalized they're fictionalized. Right? <laughs> because, because, I mean, they're, they're totally, they're not real people. 
fictionalized. As far as they know. They're fictionalized. They're, well, they're not fictionalized. They're just fictional. Oh, okay. Fictionalized fiction. uh, Right. And so I don't want to say a lot more. I don't know. Because when I'm reading a book about, you know, like a historical event that I don't know a lot about, mm-hmm. uh, I try to not know anything about it until the end. Uh, so, yeah. So I really, really like the book. Um, I recommend, I think it's from Knopf. Uh, Jonathan Lee, High Dive. Really good. Uh, the non-book I'm going to recommend is the new Mike Birbiglia movie called Don't Think Twice. Oh, heard it was really good. Uh, it's super good. Uh, starring Keegan Michael Key and Gillian Jacobs, and uh, others and Mike Birbiglia. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about uh, basically an improv group uh, performing in New York City, and uh, kind of what uh, you know, like fame and can do to a group of friends, and specifically, really about. Uh, artists and obviously more specifically about uh, mm-hmm. improv actors uh, you know and what sort of their career goals are and you know obviously not everybody makes it and so what that's like um, definitely as uh, you know a writer and in a program with other writers who have all uh, you know been published at varying levels you know some of it felt I mean obviously my, my experiences are not uh this, uh, you know, really all that similar to what was dis- displayed in the movie, but cut, there were moments that felt a little close. Mm. Um, <laughs> but it was really, really good. Uh, really, really funny, but also really sad. Don't go in thinking you're just going to, like, laugh the whole time. It has a lot uh, of heart. Yeah, I'm going to... It does. What's, uh, oh, what was his stand special that I really liked? Uh, I'm going to do a peripheral recommendation percent of Mike Birbiglia's other stuff. This is unprecedented. Uh, it is. It is. So Sleepwalk With Me, which was his other movie. Great movie, too. It was, yeah. was really good, but uh, he had a... Oh, Jesus. Was God. it the one that was almost like a one-man show? It okay. was that one. Yeah, that one was really good. I, I love that one. And Wish I, I knew the title for it. Is It's <laughs> My Girlfriend's Boyfriend, I think. No. Yeah, no, I do think that is the one. Uh, I'm gonna... I'm, I'm pretty sure... So, was, was like a Santa special. I think it's on, it's on Spotify. It might be on Netflix. Uh, well, yeah, it is. Uh, is I mean, it is really funny, but also, again, really sad. Has a lot uh, of heart. So he's excellent, and so uh, listen to my girlfriend's boyfriend or watch it on Netflix if it's there, and go see Don't Think Twice. Cool. Don't think twice about it. Yeah, don't think I'm twice. Out. It's all right. Um, my book recommendation is a book by Lex Williford called Superman on the Roof. Mm-hmm. And this is from Rose Metal Press, which is, I think, was started by some Emerson alum. There's an affiliation with Emerson there. Right. Um, Redivider gets free copies of the books, and Paul, let me borrow this one. So this is like really, it's slim, 40 pages, and it's a novella told in Flash. I think all these stories are published separately at some point. Um, but they range from like the 1960s to the present and it's all centers around the narrator's three-year-old brother dying of cancer. And Mm. so, um, each one has that as the kind of the centerpiece, but it's all the stuff surrounding that, um, and then goes up and ends somewhere in the present. Um, so it's kind of like a childhood recollection thing, but it's really kind of heartbreaking but also very good and obviously at 40 pages you can read it in one sitting but it's very excellent so that's Superman on the Roof by Lex Willaford shout out Rose Metal Press my mm-hmm. non-book recommendation is going to be the film the 2015 film 45 Years by Andrew Hay 
Um, so this is, it came out in 2015, I just said that. Um, <laughs> so this focuses on a married couple who are getting ready to celebrate their wedding anniversary, their 45th one, um, when the husband gets a letter that the his an ex-girlfriend or a former girlfriend that he went hiking with in, on a Switzerland, in a mountain in Switzerland, she like fell to her death and kind of froze there and her body's been uncovered and it was kind of encased in ice this whole time and it's and so he's dealing with that and then this is kind of brings up all the stuff about his past and about their relationship um so a very quiet kind of slow moving movie um that kind of like gut punches you in a very in subtle ways. It's a lot of, a lot of little subtle gut punches. Ah, I love <laughs> subtle gut punches. <laughs> yeah. Um, so very excellent. Um, is it funny? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my book recommendation is going to be Ubik by Philip K. Dick. It's one, apparently on the Times list for 100 best novels. So it's not interesting. <laughs> yes, it's very interesting. <laughs> um, it's, it was one of the main inspirations for like The Matrix and Inception. I don't know when it was written, like, a while, a few decades ago. But um, have you guys seen the movie Looper? Yes. Do you remember the scene where, like, his body part's, like, disappearing, and he has to, like, try to get back to his own body? Yeah. Like, how creepy and dark that was. There's a lot of those kinds of scenes in this book of, like, dark, morbid, but horrific, but really interesting things that happen. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, the kind of book that a New Yorker review would, like, describe as inventive and (laughs) mind-bending. So I recommend that. And my non-book recommendation is the New York Times crossword puzzle. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got the app for my phone recently, and I can't stop doing it. Uh, Shout out, Will yeah. Are you gonna Are you gonna subscribe? Did you subscribe? No, but I've been doing all the free packs that come with the app. Okay. <laughs> so, but I did uh, buy one pack of twenty puzzles for like three bucks. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah. Um, <sighs> that's my recommendation. Yeah, so cool. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, all right. Thanks as always to Paul Haney for uh, writing, recording, producing, etc. Our intro track. Mm-hmm. Uh, we oh, appreciate yeah. it. Uh, Doug's got a, Doug forgot, but he's got an announcement. This is huge, folks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> bigger than big. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're in the area, you should go to the Boston Book Festival, which is sometime in September. Um, but yep. Provider will have a table there. But we're also hosting an after-party sort of events. So we're going to have people reading. Um, I don't even know if this isn't 100% confirmed So yet. maybe... We should hold off? Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, is there going to be alcohol there? Yes. All right, I'm in. No matter what, there will be an after party with good readers. One of them might be um, Alexander Kleeman. Might. What if we didn't boggle Alexander Kleeman? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, so Doug, what's wrong? It is October 15th in (laughs) Copley Square. Uh, Other people who are speaking, I mean, so just, it's a cool event. Other other writers who were like the featured people for the like yeah. the Boston Book Festival, Colson Whitehead's on the list, uh, Maria Semple, uh, James Glick, Emma Donahue, Tom Parada, uh, cool Tom people. Parada. Yeah, uh, my friend embarrassed himself in front of Jim Shepard last year, uh, and you know it's just good stuff. Yeah. Richard Russo. Hey. Uh, Lindy West. I'm just reading names that does that. That's so passionate. These people are Simon Jimenez. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be. It's it's a cool festival. Uh, a lot of really local, like you know, all the lit journals come out uh, that are from the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, it's cool. It's a fun place to be. Yeah, come watch us dread our stuff. 
You're going to be strutting your stuff? Of course. Oh, God, I'm not going. All right. you will. Anyway, I did the Paul thing already. Yeah, you did. You know... You know. <laughs> tweet, at us, tweet at us, email us. I don't, we don't. We, it's in. It's in the uh, information. It's yeah. in the write up. So just look there because you're not gonna remember when I say it. You know, whatever. Tweet at me at the real Brad Babs. Simon and uh, not Simon. Simon doesn't know which one. Doug and Skip Doug. Ask the pearl yeah. necklace. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. Gotta pee. Thanks. Later. Bye. Mac and cheese time. Mm. I made him an offer he couldn't refuse.